Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. We're in a series that I'm calling, uh, Why Am I Here? Why am I here? You ever wondered that? Maybe, Maybe like at the core of your identity or even questioning your existence, you wonder, why am I here? Why am I on this planet? Or maybe you're in the middle of one of those storms that Clint mentioned, and you're thinking, why am I here? Why am I in the middle of this storm? Anybody got a storm? Don't raise your hand. Just, you know, you can, you can, if you want to. Why am I, why is this happening? Why am I here? You know, the problem is, is what we do is we look to the externals, we look to the situations, we look to the performance, we look at what we can do to try to define our purpose and what we think our call might be. So where we are in this series, if, you, if you've missed some of these, I'll catch you up real fast. And the reason anything exists is because of the intention of the creator of that thing, right? So this chair exists because whoever made this chair had a reason for making it. You exist because your God, your creator, had a reason to make mankind. That reason is in Revelation 4.11 that says God created everything according to his good pleasure. You weren't created to do a job for God. Now I'm going to get there. <clears throat> you were created to be his child. Those of you that are parents, why did you have children? So they'd work for you or so you could have a family? Everybody, their parents are thinking about that. I'm not sure. Let me, think. Let me think about that one for a minute. So if he created everything for his good pleasure, Matt, uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew 17 that it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So we were created because it brings God pleasure, and what brings God pleasure is to give you the kingdom. Very interesting. That word is only used a couple of times. But it tells so much about the character of who he is and his attitude toward us and what's in his eyes and his mind and his heart when he looks at you. It It brings him pleasure to give you righteousness, peace, and joy in his spirit, in his dimension, in his realm, in his kingdom. That's what the kingdom is, righteousness, peace, and joy in his spirit. And it's his good pleasure to give it to you. And he gave it to you in Jesus. You can't measure up. You're unworthy in your own strength, but here, let me give you my acceptance. Let me give you my righteousness. Let me give you my right standing. So you're changed forever spiritually. And hopefully, that produces a peace within you. And from that peace, you can have joy, and you live in joy. So you have your identity settled. Okay, whether I ever do anything for God or not, whether I ever go to church or give or any of that stuff, If I have said yes to Jesus and I have received that free gift of righteousness available in his death, burial, and resurrection, my purpose is fulfilled. In other words, the reason God created you was to be his child. Now, I realize this might go against some of the stuff that you've been taught because some of y'all have been taught, okay, see, your purpose, God has a, a destiny for you, and your purpose is to find that one thing that you do better than everybody else on the planet, and when you hit that bullseye, Then, well, I almost got you on that one. She's a brave soul in the front. Then you're you're pleasing to God. 
because you have figured out the tiny little bullseye thing that, you're, that you were made for. You were born for, you were born for this. You were born. <laughs> that too. You know what I mean. And, and that's like, oh my gosh, what kind of pressure does that create for you, you know? That is performance mentality at the highest level. In other words, your purpose is wrapped up in what you're going to do for God. Come on. So then we get to a part where we realize, okay, God loves me. He's a good father. He wants me to enjoy this planet. That's why he created it. We introduced sin. So now that this planet's messed up, certainly he has assignments for me that I engage in and walk in those good works that he ordained from the foundation, from before the foundation of the world, I will walk in those, and that is my calling. All right? So what is a calling? The definition of calling is, anybody remember? I won't test you. But the definition of calling is to embrace salvation. It's an invitation to embrace salvation. That's what the definition of calling is. So if you embrace salvation in Jesus, you have fulfilled the first aspect of your calling. The second aspect of your calling, it's very clear, clearly defined, and you know, I don't want to go too much into it, but you daily embracing this salvation that's available in Jesus, not that you got to get saved every day. You've been born again. You've been made righteous and holy. See, his blood cleansed you and changed the kind of being that you are. And as that blood cleansed you, it left you perfect and holy. That's what it means. We've complicated these terms, but they're very simple to understand. Sanctify means it's been washed. It's holy because after it's been sanctified, it's set apart, available, and acceptable to be used and indwelt by God. That's what makes it holy. So, because the very fact that God lives in you means that you are a holy vessel worthy to be inhabited by God. Amen? Man, if you can understand that, you don't ever need to hear another sermon. Except this one I'm about to preach today. But you start from there, right? That's your purpose. That's where you start from. Your purpose is to allow that salvation to bear fruit. And so daily you embrace that salvation. Daily you wake up and you look to him for leading and guidance. You look to him for, for strength beyond your own strength. You look to him for, to, to, to redefine to you who you are. You look to him for his grace to rise up within you and change the way you think, change the way you behave, change the way you talk, change the way you treat your spouse. All of that stuff is part of transformation, but from the place of already being complete spiritually. Don't we want to yield to that? I mean, some of us need to be more loving to our kids and more loving to our wives and, you know, a little less edgy and then the other stuff. Sydney's looking at me like, yeah, you need to work on that one. I can get edgy. What? So your calling is twofold. Daily embrace salvation that's extended to you and then move from the embracing of that salvation. That means... I am so thankful for what you've done for me. i got to tell somebody. You know what I mean? You go to a restaurant, right? You have whatever it is that you have. It's like, man, you can't wait to post it on Facebook. You post a picture of it. Look at this. This food was good. You know, we evangelize food sometimes more than Jesus. But it's the same thing. I remember when I first got born again, and not that, I, not that I'm the example, but 
because I didn't really have much of a church background. I didn't know you were supposed to evangelize, right? I just knew that I wasn't going to hell anymore. I mean, that's where I was in my salvation or my life at the point. So I'd still go to the same parties with my friends, and I didn't do the drugs and drink anymore, but I'd just tell them what happened to me. You know, it's like they'd sit there and look at me. You know, some of them might be on different various narcotics and, you know, seeing different things. And I led a bunch of people to the Lord. But just because I was excited, you know, I didn't know any better to have the performance mentality that I was supposed to do that stuff anyway. You know, so like when you feel, it, when you feel like you're supposed to do it, you don't want to do it. You old rebellious thing, you. <clears throat> so you have your identity established. You realize daily God created me to enjoy the kingdom, to experience this righteousness that he's given me. It's his good pleasure to give me this righteousness, so I should experience it. If it makes him happy to give it to me, I want it. I want to experience it daily. So from there, the second aspect of your calling is to let that motivate you to move toward the world. And we define the, the, the kind of the structure that you move toward the world in is sticking to Jesus' principles, which is love God, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and love people. Our love for one another because we are believers should be a sign to the world that we follow Jesus. And then as we work together and we unite in that love for one another and we look at the world, it should compel them to desire our God because love draws them in. See, you don't need to figure out how to get two places to take the gospel. Let me, let me tell you something here. There, there's kind of an idea out there that says that we need to advance the kingdom or establish the kingdom. I don't think mankind's job is to establish the kingdom. God's doing that by His Spirit. Now, it might be, you know, mincing words, but hey, I'm a preacher, so I think what we are to do is experience the increase of His kingdom. Like, you don't have the kingdom in your hands, and then you got to take it and make it happen. Like, okay, the kingdom's not over there, so let's go over into that part of the world and make the kingdom happen in that world. No. You don't take the kingdom to those places. You go to those places, and because you emanate love, you emanate the presence of God, you are a carrier of that kingdom, you are a child of God, just like the principle in the Proverbs that says, don't sit at the head of the table of the king you sit at the end of the table and let your gift make room for you, and then you're invited to the head of the table. See, we, some carnal Christians, and it sounds real spiritual because it's wrapped in supernatural language that we need to take the mountain of, you know, uh, music. We need to take the mountain of politics. We need to take the mountain of this. And there's this kind of seven mountain thing, and it's really actually very carnal, meaning physical, meaning we can go and make something happen. No. Now, you might be led into those arenas, and just like your gift makes room for you to be sat at the head of the table with the king, so it will be as you have those opportunities to move into those areas. But the, 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 the motivation is to release the love. The motivation is to release the principles of freedom in the kingdom, the principles of God's not holding anything against you. Be reconciled to God. Amen? So you don't have to go take something and make something happen. You just enjoy. Again, it's that daily embracing of salvation, and it's almost like that just filters out into this world, and it, it makes space for you to step into. It makes space with people. You know, you go in knowing who you are in Christ. You've seen it. 
People ask you, what's different about you? What do you think? What is this? What is this? You know, and you, and you, and you have the opportunity to come in. That is responding to your calling. Now, as you go about your daily embracing of salvation, you might say yes to a specific assignment. There may be very specific things that God wants you to do. Those things might actually even include, you know, the offices of administration in the church formally. It might be as a mother. It might be as someone to oversee a single women's home. It might be into the Capitol. It might be into the White House. Those might be assignments God has for you. I'm not talking about anybody in particular, but everybody looks at Mike. They might be assignments, but you know what? Whether you respond to that or not doesn't change your purpose to be God's child. So you move into those things saying yes to him. So your calling is to embrace God daily. And as you do, it will make space for you in this room. And, but your job is, or your, your, your responsibility is step into the space that gets created. You know what I mean? You step into those opportunities. We pray for opportunities. We pray for leading. We pray for grace. We pray for guidance. We pray for wisdom. But what we don't do is, what, here's what we do. We pray for those things, and we sit back, and we wait for God to do, make this big picture happen. But you know what? Your heart's not really at a place where you can see the big picture. You know, you've, you've probably heard it said that God's not going to give you the whole plan, because if you knew the whole plan, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't start to begin with. That, that, people just make that stuff up. That's not anywhere in the Bible. You want to know what's really happening? You can't see the plan because of where your heart is in this moment. You could if your heart were in agreement with the entire plan. He's not withholding anything from you. He's not, there's not a veil before your eyes that won't let you see the plan other than your willingness in your heart to walk in that direction. As you move in that direction, your heart is increased. The capacity, and I don't mean your physical heart. I mean, that, that part of you that's new at, the, at new creation, God gives you a new heart. It has his laws encoded in it. It knows how to follow him. It knows how he thinks. It hears his voice. That's in you. That part needs to be expanded into this dimension because it's directly correct, connected to God's mouth. And he is speaking directly to it and influencing it. And as you yield to it and it turns into motion for you, that's grace. Grace is God's influence in your heart to compel you forward. And you do it in a strength that's not your own. It's a co-laboring. It's a yes to him and then you move in. It's like he blows the wind and you just open up your sail and then you move. Then he blows the wind and you open up your sail and then you move. That's, that's, that's how walking with God is. But we're like, you know what, why don't you just go ahead and pave the whole way. Give me the blueprint of what the boat looks like. I want the wind to blow this way and come in from that way. And at 12 o'clock tomorrow, I want it, you know, we like telling him what to do. We pray and then we say, okay, God, well, if you do this, 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 and this, and this, then it'll work out for me. I'm preaching. So just keep moving. Be willing to move to begin with. But then be willing to actually take the step into the space that grace will create for you. You may not see the whole plan. You may not understand that next step, but you take it because you've asked for it. 
And then the more you, do, the more you develop that discipline of living and taking those steps, the more your heart will be to, to, to let him flow freely. The more your mind will be renewed to think like him. The more your mind will be in a place where you're less resistant to God's ways and God's thinking. And you'll, you'll understand more. His wisdom will teach you. And even when you don't understand, you won't question because you just trust in him. You have confidence in him. that it's going to work out. There are certain ways that Sarah and I have learned to follow God that when we, you know, it's like when we know when a specific thing, right? And I don't mean a specific thing, but when anything starts to rise up in a specific way, let me say it that way. In other words, we find ourselves just kind of thinking about it. We find ourselves talking about it. Maybe even you recognize a song. You know, it's not, I'm not looking for signs, but I can tell that the direction of the attention of my heart starts to go in a particular direction. I've learned to realize, okay, this is God influencing me and leading me, so I need to pay attention here. You don't just randomly start thinking about stuff. Your heart is very intentional. I mean, even in the sinful stuff, even in those poor choices that you make, there is a moment where it begins and you, you set your motion in the meditation, in meditation of that direction. God, let God be the, the influence. Throw up that sail when you pray and be willing to take a little step, take a little step. So we're talking about why am I here? We're talking about what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? Because, you know, once you know who you are in Christ, you actually wake up and realize, man, there actually is a new covenant. I'm not under the law. <clears throat> I'm not worried about breaking the law. I'm not worried about disappointing God. I'm not worried about if I'm giving enough money. You know, you, you, your Christianity kind of becomes all the things that you don't have to do. Then you progress past that and you realize, you know what? I want to make an impact. I want to reach the world for Jesus, you know? And that's where the calling comes in, is your daily participation in that salvation. You're daily saying yes to Jesus. So I love to look at Moses when I talk about all this stuff, about the calling and, and moving forward and taking steps. And on Wednesday nights, we're going deeper. Uh, this week, probably Monday or Tuesday, we will actually send out an email with the audio of this past Wednesday. It will not be in the podcast. It'll just be a direct link because I'm the way I'm wanting to package that and put it out. I don't want to make it public just yet, but I do want to make it available to you. So if you want the audio from this past Wednesday, make sure you're on our email list and you'll get it this week before this coming Wednesday's class. So you get to the part where it's like, okay, what, what, how, how do I move forward? What do I do? I, I need some motivation. I need some, you know, how, how do I do? What do I do? Beyond just taking those daily steps on Wednesdays, we're going to look at just some of the psychology behind motivation, some details about what creates momentum, what works for you. It's very engaging. There's, a, I don't know, there was probably 35, 40 people here Sunday, uh, Wednesday, and I gave a homework assignment, and hopefully people come to do it. When I gave the homework assignment, people looked at me like, wait a minute, you actually expect me to do something? I thought this was church. Some of y'all get that joke. Anyway, so... We look at Moses. You can look at the life of Moses to really get a lot out of how to move forward. Moses is 80 years old when he steps out into his calling. He tried when he was 40. Y'all remember what happened? At 40, he had the revelation that he was called to be the deliverer of Israel, the people of Israel. 
and he jumps out and he kills somebody. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it by force. You, you don't line up. I'm killing you. You're in the way of my vision. You've got to go. That happens, right? Some of you have some things that are still in your heart that lie ahead of you that you messed up in the past. That, it'll come back around. It will come back around. Those opportunities, they do. For Moses, it was 40 years later. Well, do you see that's in God's timing? I don't know. I don't know that it was. There's no scripture that tells us that. I think it had more to do with where Moses was. But that's just my opinion. So there's a day where Moses is out. Moses has become a shepherd. I mean, 40 years, right, where he knew what he was supposed to do, he did it the wrong way, and he ran. How much regret do you think he would have built up over 40 years? How much disappointment do you think he would have beat himself up with over 40 years? How convinced do you think he had gotten himself of the idea is never going to happen? 40 years. It's not like he forgot about it. So one of his lambs run off, sheep, lamb, to in Horeb in the particular crevice of the mountain. This is called the mountain of God. He goes in, and there's the bush, right? You've all probably heard the story, Moses and the burning bush. He's standing in front of this bush, and he looks at it, and God speaks to him. And he tells him, I want you to go to Pharaoh and deliver my children out of Egypt so that I can dwell among them. I love that. He added that. Just, God, I want to be with them. Go get them. I want to be with them. So he says, this, now, look at yourself in this process, okay? Because we all go through this process, and you're all at different stages in this process, but we get, we get to see the human condition and psychology unfold in Moses in this interaction right before our very eyes, and it's amazing. Go back and read it. It's in Exodus, the beginning, especially chapter 2, 3, all the way through like 14, 15-ish. <clears throat> so he says, all right, this is number one, he says to God. I've heard what you've said. I see this is happening. I acknowledge that you're here. Who am I to go do this? This is, this is the question Moses asks. So he's like, he's struggling with his identity. Who am I? I don't think I'm worthy to do this. You mean go stand before Pharaoh? Who am I to do that? Who am I? That's the question we ask. God says, I'll be with you. I will be with you. When you have difficulty knowing who you are in Christ, just take comfort in the fact that God is with you. When you're struggling, you, don't, you, just, you just feel insecure, you feel weak, there's no sense of confidence, just know that God is with you. So that must have done something to Moses' heart because then he takes the next question. And it's so funny because there's a burning bush and a voice and this bush is not being consumed. And so Moses says, now, who are you? <laughs> okay, I'm willing to move past who am I. Now let's talk about you for a minute. Who are you? <laughs> I am the Lord God, your father. I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who I am. Man, I mean, get this picture. You know, I want to kind of create the moment here for us. You know, imagine that this drum set over here is on fire. <laughs> but it's not burning away. 
You don't even smell smoke, it's just pretty. You know, it's like pretty fire. Y'all okay with pretty fire? Is that manly enough? It's fire. <laughs> Things burning, you know, and he's looking at it and he's hearing this voice talking to him and it's not being consumed and he's thinking that's odd. And there's a scripture that says he walked over to it to see what this odd thing was. It didn't say odd, but the strange thing was, you know, he's like, oh, that's interesting. So he's talking to it now and it's telling him what he's going to do. And he's like, I don't know about me, but who are you? God says, this is who I am. And he says, okay, now he questions God again. He says, okay. So then he starts to think about the people, right? This is where we go. I don't know about that. I don't know if I can do this. Okay, I'm comforted that you're with me. Now, who are you? And that's where we have to learn about who God is. Then he says, okay, now what about them? When I go, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't receive it? What if they don't, you know, what, what are they going to think? Is the next phase that he goes through. What are they going to think? What am I supposed to tell them if it doesn't work? He says, you tell them that I am that I am sent you. Okay, that's settled. So you'd think he'd say, all right, let's go. Let's do this. Where, when are we going? What time are we going? But he doesn't. He backpedals now, and he asks again, how are we going to do this? You know, it's just all this doubt, this questioning. He's wondering. God says, all right, let's try this, because I can tell that you, now you're looking for a sign. Now you're looking for some confirmation. Now you're at a place where you need to see something happen, and we all do that, and it's just part of it. So he says, all right, Moses, what's in your hand? And, and Moses has the shepherd's staff. It's about six feet tall. He would have had it for a long time. And he looks at it, and he says, well, this is, I got this stick. You know, this fire's talking to him. And he, he says, well, I got this stick here. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, that's not much. I don't have much. I, you know, I keep the sheep in line with it. Not some great thing, you know. That's where we are. We're looking at what's in our hands, and we don't think it's very much. God says, throw it on the ground. Then what happened? It turns into a serpent. Then what happened? Moses runs <laughs> away, from the, away from it. So that just shows, you know, God shows up, and I don't like that terminology because he never leaves, but something happens you know, it's like, oh, he, he panics and he runs. Any, anybody in here not afraid of snakes? Like, if you see them, you'll pick them up. You know, I don't mean in the wild, but one person. Yeah, two people. If it's tame, yeah, just if, you know. If I had a snake here that would not bite you, would you pick it up? Let's just talk about snakes for a while. It's like that. <laughs> yeah. But where do you pick a snake up? By its head. By its head. God tells him, pick it up by the tail. And it's probably venomous. Moses is probably knows, you know, I got to get away from this thing because it's going to kill me. I mean, if it was just a little ball python or something, he probably wouldn't have run from it. It scared him enough to run. I've been very close to a black mamba in Kenya before, and I didn't have enough sense to run. <laughs> I just stood there looking at a snake. <clears throat> God tells him, pick it up by the tail. The most dangerous place to pick up a snake. A little risky, 
right? The next step that God asks you to take might be a little risky. You might even think, oh, that's dangerous. I don't know about that. But do you know that he's with you? Do you know that he's for you? Do you know who he is? And then can you step? So he does. He reaches down. He picks that thing up. Boom. Turns back into a stick. God says, all right, take your hand and put it in your coat. So he puts it in his coat, pulls it out, and his, his hand is just decrepit, you know, leprosy. It turns white, scaly, stuff falling off. You know, he's, can you imagine? I mean, you can't run from your own hand, you know, at this point. So he sticks it, says, put it back, and he pulls it back out, and it's healed. So God shows him, look, you know, there's healing in this. There, there's, there's a power here beyond what you even know of. And then he tells him, one of the signs that you're going to do is you're going to pour out some water. It's going to turn the river red, turn it to blood. So then Moses again. It's so, it's so this is so us. Because after all of that, what would you think Moses would say? Okay. Let's go. You know what he says? He says, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> that that's what he said. He said, I don't think I'm the right guy. I've seen this. You know, I, I get it. You're you got the talking bush thing going here. You did something to my body. I, I get it, but, you know, I don't, I don't think I can do this, God. You ever been there? Yeah. I mean, you've seen him move, and then you're like, uh, I ain't feeling it. Then he comes around finally, and he goes. So after he goes, all the signs happen, his rod, there's like a list. It's either 9 or 11 times that the rod is very specifically mentioned in the miracles, in the signs and the wonders, and even after the deliverance against the Amalekites. So there's victory, not just deliverance and protection and safety, but for future victory. But I love this aspect because, you know, God didn't, bring, God didn't say, okay, hang on one second and go and get a stick and then bring it back to him and say, here, use this one. He says, what's, in your, what, what's already in your hand? You've already got something in your hand. I'll use that. Now, this is where the teaching kind of comes in that what you're good at is what defines your calling. You know what I'm saying? You've heard that. Like you take those personality tests and you get to the end of it and you're trying to figure out what your call from God is and you think, I can do this really well, so that must be what God wants me to do. And so everything that you think God wants you to do is defined by performance. God didn't go get a different stick and say, you know what, here, use this one. He used what was in his own hands. You just yield yourself to him and then watch him do amazing things, but you've got to be willing to take those steps. Moses had to be willing to pick up that viper. Moses had to be willing to put his hand. Moses had to be willing to go stand in front of Pharaoh. In fact, it got to the point where when, God, when Moses said to God, I don't think I can do this, he said, all right. What about Aaron, your brother? Because Moses was like, I can't talk. I'll get up there and I'll get tongue-tied. I don't think I can do it. Moses is coming up with an excuse now. When I get there, it's going to fail because of me, is what he says. God says, okay, well, you know what? I've got somebody that will go with you. God will bring people and put them beside you to walk with you, to be that mouthpiece, to be that encourager, to be your brother, to walk with you. So he goes... All the miracles happen. He comes out. And the, I don't think it was very long, but the Israelites <clears throat> started complaining. They asked Moses, they said, 
have we been delivered out of Pharaoh's hands just to die in the desert? I mean, we've got, mo we got Pharaoh coming up behind us. What kind of dirty trick is this? We shouldn't have made him mad. We shouldn't, have, we shouldn't have done this. We've created a mess for ourselves here. It's getting really bad. You know, they're freaking out, whining, complaining. They got a sea in front of them, desert on the other side, and Pharaoh's coming up behind them. And Moses goes back to God. And I love this. Let's put the first passage up because this is God's response to Moses when they're standing in front of the sea. So then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell the Israelites to move on or go forward, which is actually where we got the name for this church. Verse 16. Raise your staff, that thing that's been in your hand. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Go back to 15. <clears throat> They're standing there. They're praying to God. They're sincere. They're looking to God for help. Now, I'm not sure that God carries a, the attitude of sarcasm toward you that I hear in my voice. I mean, in my, when I hear from God. So when I, I say this, I sound a little sarcastic. But, you know, don't take that as the Father. But it just makes sense to me that way. God says to them, what are you crying about? Really? You're crying now? That you sound desperate. And, and like we, it's like desperate is like somehow a fruit of the Spirit or something in some you hear these songs, oh, we're so desperate for you. I want more of you. I was so hungry for you. It's, it's like, well, you know what? He said, if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. He said, I am in you in my fullness, and you will be satisfied and comforted in me. You don't need to be desperate. These people are desperate. You know why they're desperate? Because they didn't pay attention to all the other areas where God was delivering them and rescuing them and bringing them to this safe place. They had gotten to the point, and you might be at this point, where, yeah, God's walked with you up until now, but now you're done. I'm done with you. You can die here. Yes, I've taken you through deliverance and all this stuff, but, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go any further with you. You ever felt like that? Sometimes it feels like that every time you try and pray again. You feel like, oh, this is fine. I've really messed up now. This is finally the time where God's not going to come through for me. That's where they were. I think had they been confident in what God had done for them up until this point, they wouldn't have been crying out out of desperation for rescue. They would have been looking back at Pharaoh, I don't know what's going to happen next, but it's going to be cool. They'd have been standing there trusting God. They weren't trusting God. They were freaking out. You know what I mean? And, and he says, lift up your hand. You've seen the movie. <laughs> They go through on dry ground. I mean, you know, he's got to stand there, right, holding his hands up all night long, and a sustained wind blows all night long from the east to make the separation. Dry ground they go through on, and when they're done, done. Didn't they feel like fools? Well, now, what were we worried about? I'm telling you, the next time, just, just, just don't wait for the next time. Just think about the last time. God delivered you. Think about what God has done for you. See, that's why we focus so much here on the finished work of Christ. Because if you can get that as a focal point in your heart to the degree of what he's done for you, 
man, the next time you face something, you won't freak out and you won't be desperate. You'll be confident that he has delivered you from the power of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of his dear son, that all his promises are yes and amen, that he has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. That's where you'll stand. Not, I wonder if he's going to show up again. I'm done if I don't, if he doesn't. That's because you haven't let the last time grace rose up within you change your heart. You just temporarily used it and it was gone. The grace will enlarge the capacity of our heart and it will begin to change the way that we see the world and the way that we think and the way that we, what we expect to a level of maturity that's like, I'm not worried about falling back under the law if I start talking about good works. Grow up. I'm not worried about you know, all the stuff that we worry about in religion and church, I want to make an impact on this planet with the gospel. I want to go forward. I want to do as many good works as I possibly can between now and I take my last breath. Because it's going to be to His glory. This is back to the beginning. This is when the sheep first goes off. Moses first encounters the bush. Exodus 3, 2, <clears throat> there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now, I'm convinced that God was giving him this picture, and it was one of those subtle things to implant something in Moses' heart and in his thinking to look at this bush. I mean, I mean imagine, again, the, fire, the drum set. Imagine it's on fire. What would you think would, this is wood. What would you think would happen to the wood that's on fire? Yeah, it would char and it'd be gone. It would only burn for a certain period of time. But imagine it's not. You know, they didn't have gas logs back then. But that's what it's like. You know, you got these wood, this wood in there and it's, it's not being consumed. There's just this fire. Verse 3. <clears throat> so Moses thought, I'll go over and see what this strange sight, see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. That's what piqued his interest, right? What piqued his interest is why is this thing burning but it's not being consumed, as King James says. I'm convinced this is, this is a picture of grace because that thing is burning of an energy that's not its own. It's burning, but it's not being consumed. See, if we set that drum set on fire... That wood has within it potential or stored energy. The heat acts on that, and then the energy within that starts to expel, and that's what creates and continues the fire. In other words, that actually burns of its own energy once the flame is introduced, and then it burns out and it's gone. Once the energy within that wood is exhausted, it's done. But here's something burning that's not being exhausted, something that's not being consumed. It's a picture of God moving through you beyond your strength, beyond your energy, beyond your capacity. This is not just you left to your talents, how good you do something. This is me burning through you. Yes, I will use what's in your hand. Yes, I will lead you according to where you are. But it's going to be me burning through you. That's grace. And you don't burn out. You don't burn up. You aren't consumed. It's like the three Hebrew children thrown into the fire in front of King Nebuchadnezzar. They were in the fire. You know what burned? 
the things that held them bondage, the ropes burned and fell off. They walked out of that fire, didn't even smell like smoke. That's what grace does for you. You don't, you walk out of, you don't smell like religion. You don't smell like control. You don't smell like, smell like abuse. You know, people come in, especially a church like this, because we're like a religious detox center. <laughs> and you can tell how churched people are, depending on how badly they are hurt by their last experience or somewhere along the way. That's where we are. It's like, okay, I wish, I wish that, that there were information that we could get that actually helped us understand how to yield to grace and how to actually live in it, but you can't. It's a relationship. You know, we can talk about it. We can set the stage. We can, we can okay, get you thinking, but it's up to you to engage God in your heart. Faith, confidence in Jesus causes grace, causes your heart to be able to receive the grace to move. Now, here's your responsibility, that as you are inspired in that increases, your, your, your expectation increases, hope rises up a little bit, maybe a little boldness rises up to pray for somebody, maybe something rises up within you to give beyond your capacity, maybe something that you, you have a moment of reason where normally you would snap into anger, there's all of a sudden kindness toward this person that you would normally be angry. Can you step into those moments? You've asked God for the help. You've asked him to change you, but are you willing to reach down and take that serpent up by the tail? In other words, step into the moment. Step into the space that that grace will create for you because that is what will begin to transform you outwardly. That is what will begin to change your thinking so that as you move, it's like the more you move, the more you look up and the more you see how God sees. And it's just the process. It's a maturity that's developed within you of consistently walking with Him by daily embracing your salvation, daily saying, yes, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you are continually establishing that within me. I want to experience more, not get more, but let this out more. It will make room for me in this world, and I'll step into it. Those things that you've been praying for, I promise you, I, I have no doubt that the things that you want to see changed in your life, God has given you the grace to see those changes happen. But have you stepped in them? Some of you have. You know, it's like our heart is like a 99-lane highway. This lane is pretty clear. You can trust God. You come in here and worship, man. You feel loved. You get the goosebumps. You're just falling out. You can connect with God. But maybe in your finances, I'm not sure about that. Maybe with your spouse, you know, you're down a couple miles, then you hit a block here. I want our hearts to be fully open to him, fully under his influence, fully empowered by him. So we're not limited in any area. But it's not him withholding, it's you refusing to take a step. It's you trying to make up an excuse and tell God, I don't think I'm the right person for the job here. You better find somebody else. No, you are the person, the perfect person, to live your life. But it can be full of righteousness, peace, and joy daily taking those steps. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. You've all had those moments, and there's a choice. I could go this way or I could go that way. 
That could be grace. And you step into it, and then you step into it, and it just keeps going. Next thing you look back, and there's just certain struggles are just gone. Certain limiting beliefs are just gone. Certain things that you would question about God in the past, they're just gone because you've, you've built a new track record following God. That's what I want. I want to continually progress in that and experience that transformation, knowing that I'm perfect, knowing that I'm holy in Him, and then living from that. Amen? Is that your prayer? Do you want your heart open to Him completely and fully? Father, we thank You for Your influence. We thank You for Your Spirit living within us. Those of us that have said yes to Jesus, we are Your children. Jesus, thank You for remaining obedient to the death of the cross and securing our salvation. And we daily want to embrace that. We daily want to say yes to you and walk out a purposeful, meaningful life, making an impact with the gospel as we love people, as we stick to the great commission of going into the world and just daily trusting you moment by moment stepping into the grace that you've provided.